All right. Well, today we're talking about a wonderful topic, and that is devotion. And the reason why I wanted to talk about devotion today is we're going into the summer, and one of the things we see every year is that <clears throat> when people, they're, they're kind of coming off a spiritual high during the school year, they go home for the summer, or they kind of are a little bit disconnected from uh, kind of your, your spiritual community for the summer, and you really struggle with this devotion to God. Uh, and, that, and that doesn't happen to everybody. Uh, it really is a huge variance between person to person. Uh, and so I just wanted to spend some time today talking about it. And uh, <clears throat> my big question that I kind of approached this sermon was, what is devotion? Uh, and the reason why I kind of phrased my, my sermon as a question is because this is one thing I'm actually not very good at myself, is devotion. So it's A, an investigation for myself, but also an investigation for you guys so I can share what I learned this, this week uh, with you. So, let me pray, and then we'll get into it. All right, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are a wonderful God, and that, uh, Lord, we can worship you every week in this building, and, uh, and we just have that freedom, God. And, uh, Lord, we just pray over this, this message, God, that you help me to uh, deliver it clearly, uh, and that the words that you want to speak will be spoken, and the words that you don't want spoken will not be spoken. And uh, yeah, we just pray that you open all of our hearts, uh, mine included, to what you have for us this morning. And in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> all right, so what is devotion? So this is a, a pretty big Chi Alpha thing, so you can go to the next slide, actually. Ooh, Chi Alpha Pillar, real devotion. Have you guys ever heard of that, real devotion? If you've been in Chi Alpha long enough, you've probably heard of that. And this is our, I don't know if this is our official Chi Alpha statement, but I found this on uh, actually the Chi Alpha Yale website. This is what they, what they put. They said, our desire is that every student would have a vibrant personal relationship with God. We believe that a real devotional life is necessary to maintain a solid relationship with God through spending time in the Word and communicating with God frequently through prayer. We can thrive. <clears throat> so real devotion. Do you guys know what the... the the real devotion is part of what's called the three R's, or what we used to call it FDR. Do you guys know what the other, the other two are? Yeah. Yep. So real, real devotion, real relationships, real responsibility. FDR used to be fellowship, devotion, responsibility. Um, so I'm still in my, my brain's still on FDR for some reason. But <clears throat> cool. Yes, this is just a great description of what uh, Chi Alpha kind of says devotion kind of looks like. Uh, of course, it's not all of it. Uh, but it's a good kind of kind of good starting point, right? Let's go to the, the next slide. Ooh, now we're going to my roots. The Westminster Shorter Catechism. You guys know what a catechism is? A few people do. So basically a catechism is a booklet of questions and answers. Uh, and the questions are basically the important questions that you need to know as a Christian and the answers to those questions. And so the Westminster Shorter Catechism is uh, from the Reformed and specifically the Presbyterian kind of uh, background. It's from... Uh, Scotland, and uh, question number one, what is the chief end of man, or what is the purpose of you? And the answer is right there. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Your chief end as a human being on this earth is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. And that's another good description of what devotion is. And one of the reasons, we're going to look at a lot of examples and descriptions today. And the reason why is it's hard to kind of define devotion. Like we can define the word, 
But a devotional life is so much bigger than we like to give it. Sometimes we limit our definition of a devotional life to reading our Bible for five minutes and praying for another five minutes every morning. And so that was my big question today is what, beyond that, what is a devotional life? You can go to the next slide. Ooh. So we, I'm going to start, we're going to start real, real small, then we're going to get big, and then we're going to get small again. So really small, what does it mean to devote? It's pretty, pretty, I think most of you guys already know this, but if you didn't already, it's give all or a large part of your time or resources to a person, activity, or cause. And we devote ourselves to a lot of things, don't we? So here's some, some examples of devotion, of either things that we can devote ourselves. You can kind of keep it on this slide for a minute. <clears throat> don't, don't change it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the, oh, I guess there is actually a next slide with, this, with some examples. Sorry, you're good. I just don't want you to spoil the, the next ones. So, <laughs> so uh, some examples are, one is just the first one that came to my mind is uh, a devoted person to their spouse. So like a husband to their wife or wife to their husband. Um, this is, uh, you know, we, we can think of those examples in our life of, of people in our lives or people in stories of these uh, people that are devoted to their spouse and uh, basically uh, serve them in every capacity they can imagine. Uh, I remember a couple weeks ago, or maybe even months ago, Chris preached a sermon where he shared a story about this, uh, the husband whose wife had really, her health had deteriorated really, really rapidly, and the husband just served and loved his wife with all that he could, even though it was a really, really, really rough time for them. And that was something that came to my mind. Another kind of example of something we devote ourselves to is our work. You guys at U of M probably relate to this. Specifically, the two that came to my mind was uh, music. I, mean, music. I was a music major at U of M, so that one's kind of like no-brainer. But sports, those, those two degrees are very much, very much skill-based. They're not knowledge-based as much as they are skill-based, so you have to devote yourself to be good at it. The best musicians and the best athletes in the world have devoted their lives to being good at what they do. Uh, Chris always likes to mention there's that 10,000 hours to be a master at something. <clears throat> and that's very, very true. I'm taking guitar lessons right now, and one of the things I'm realizing is it takes a lot of time. And I already knew that because I learned trumpet for years, but I don't have that time anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> it's hard. All right, what's some other examples of devotion? You can go to the next slide. Oh, he, he hijacked. That's not supposed to be right. There's not supposed to be a cat up there. Cats aren't devoted to anything except for themselves. You can go to the next slide. <clears throat> there we go. That's, that's what we wanted. Dogs. Dogs, yes. They are devoted to their masters. These, these three bozos are, from left to right, is Gracie, Sage, and in the back is Blazer. They're uh, my family's dogs. They are German short-haired pointers, also known as Brianna's least favorite breed. <laughs> she thinks they look like a roast chicken, which is kind of true. <laughs> it's kind of true. <laughs> but they are just the sweetest things. You can go to the next slide. Yeah. <clears throat> Animals are weird. They do, they do some weird things. But I just wanted to talk about cats and dogs really quick because there's this classic analogy between cats and dogs. You know, the, the dog says... Uh, you feed me, you love me, uh, uh, you want to be with me, you must be God. And the cat says, you feed me, you love me, you want to be with me, I must be God. <clears throat> and of course, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. You know, a cat is, uh, <clears throat> cats really, it's more like 
you know, they, they see us as their, their, their owner, their master, but they come to us when they need us and want something. And while sometimes they express love and devotion without an agenda, you know, Zuko greets us every time we come home, and when we're, like, watching TV, he crawls up specifically on Debbie. He doesn't do this to me because he loves Debbie more than me. He crawls up in Debbie and snuggles. And so he's, he's, a, he's a cuddly boy. But the relationship between the master and their cat is mostly based off of what the cat can benefit from. Sometimes we do that with God, don't we? We only go to God when we need something from him. <clears throat> Dogs just want to be with and hang out with their humans. And, of course, they come to us when they need something, when they need to go to the bathroom, especially if they're, like, whining up a storm. But mostly they want to be with you, right? Let's go to the next. Ooh, potatoes. Well, potatoes aren't devoted to anything but the ground. And, yes, but I couldn't, I couldn't resist putting that up there. You can go to the next one. <laughs> that one's a little distracting. Yes, Samwise Gamgee. If you have not seen The Lord of the Rings, this is going to go over your head. But Samwise Gamgee is the true hero of The Lord of the Rings, right? So <clears throat> Frodo, of course, he uh, goes, spends his whole uh, journey trying to destroy the ring uh, of power. Uh, and he gets to the end uh, <clears throat> mostly off of this man's back. Because this man loved his master. He, everything he did was to help Frodo and to love Frodo, to be his friend, to be his servant. And it's just a great example of uh, kind of devotion. Of course, it's not, when we're talking about devotion to God, there's not a direct analogy that we can put. These are just a good, a bunch of examples of a few things that we think of when we think of devotion, right? We can go to the next slide. All right, scriptures. Well, we got to look at scripture. And I got a whole bunch for you. You can turn if you'd like, but we're going to go through these fast. Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. <clears throat> your heart speaks to your emotion and desire, right? Your soul, your person and your inner self, your might, your body, and what you do. Um, a lot of people like to really define what these specifically mean, like, oh, the mind is this, the soul is this, the spirit is this. I like to think of it more as it's the loving God with all that you are, both the physical and the, the immaterial, the non-physical, right? Romans 12.1, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, dying to ourselves, who we are, so that we might live for God. Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A few years ago, I went to a talk uh, by a guy from Calvin College, uh, and the, the talk was, you are what you love. <clears throat> Nino's version is you love what you spend the most time and money on. You can always tell what a person values the most because when he looks at your bank and the schedule, because when you spend your money and your time on is what you value the most in life. <clears throat> what your treasure is, there your heart will be also. John 4.34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Living a life of devotion is what feeds us and keeps us healthy. And this, is, this next one's <clears throat> one of my favorites. 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He died so that we wouldn't live selfishly, but live for him. You know, this reminds me of yesterday. I went to Chimaka's commencement. 
which is a, a great kind of time just to celebrate her and her achievements there. And the, the commencement speaker was nice, you know, typical commencement speaker. But one thing she said uh, was very interesting. She said, uh, of course, she's not, I don't believe she's, I don't think she's a Christian. Who knows? I don't know her heart. Uh, but she said, make sure you, you know, uh, spend uh, and focus on yourself first, is what she said. And when I heard that, I was like, that is so not true. And the reason why I think that is because we're so much more than ourselves. If our purpose is to live for God, then we need to focus on God and others first. Not that we don't need to, there's some times where we need to have a boundary and we need to, uh, to, to, to work on what we do and make sure we're in the right place. We don't want to just run ourselves ragged and let others walk all over us. But our purpose is so much more than for selfish gain. And then, of course, this, there's the story of Daniel 6, Daniel in the lion's den. We all, if you grew up in the church, you uh, read this since you were probably two years old. Uh, but just a great story of devotion. Uh, you know, Daniel was, uh, <clears throat> there was this decree that went out from the king. Uh, his, uh, some of his kind of leaders was, uh, were kind of tricked him and be like, hey, we're going to make it so that only people can praise you and worship you and pray to you. Uh, and, of course, Daniel's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pray to the God that I know is the real God, not this stupid king. Though he didn't actually, wouldn't have said the stupid king. He, he actually really liked the king. <clears throat> and, of course, then they discovered him, and they showed up to the king, and they're like, hey, he's praying three times a day to his God. He's not, he's not following the decree. Uh, and, of course, the way the decree worked is he couldn't go back on it. And he, the king was actually dismayed. He really liked Daniel as well. And so they had to throw Daniel in the lion's den, and he, uh, he had his eyes on God, not on the fear of the lions, and he lived. He, the lions didn't even touch him. And, of course, the, the bad guys, uh, the king was like, you, you guys are idiots, so he threw the bad guys in the lines, and they all got gobbled up real quick. <clears throat> but just a great story of Daniel's devotion to God. You can go to the next slide. Yeah. Luke 7, 36 through 47, it's the story of, uh, you know, Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house and uh, is invited in for dinner. And while they're there, they're, you know, chatting and doing their thing. Uh, and this woman comes up, uh, comes in the, the house, and, she uses her tears and her hair to, to clean Jesus' feet and ointment, uh, a very uh, expensive vial of uh, ointment, to uh, put it on his feet. And it's just a great example of this, this woman's love for God. Uh, you, get the, you kind of have this dichotomy between the Pharisee, Simon. He doesn't provide any acts of the common hospitality that was needed and required of the day. And, of course, he was appalled by, by Jesus allowing this you know, sinner to touch him. He was like, why, why are you letting her touch you like that? She's a sinner. Like, you should, you should sh- shoo her away. And, of course, Jesus, uh, he, he starts out, he says, Simon, I got something to tell you. And that's not usually something you want to hear from Jesus, but Jesus does say it to a, to a lot. But he describes this uh, parable of two people who owe money to somebody, a debtor. Uh, and so there's one that owes a lot, one that owes a little. And Jesus says, if they're both forgiven, who is, uh, loves more, right? And uh, the, the Pharisee is like, oh, you know, the one who has forgiven a lot. And Jesus says, you're correct. And, uh, <clears throat> of course, then he expresses this to the woman. He says, you know, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Um, but this is just a great story. Just, you know, this woman showing her great love and devotion to her Lord. You know, <clears throat> she, she knows she's done wrong, but she knows that her only hope is in Jesus, Right? Despite her status, the risk of ridicule, 
and the financial hit. She loved Jesus with all that she could muster, both the material and the immaterial. All right. Well, that's a whole bunch of scriptures. We're going to get to one more. That's Colossians 1, 9-14. And this is going to be our main scripture for the day. We'll spend a little bit of time on this before we kind uh, of wrap up. But let's read it together. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So this is a, Colossians is a letter written to the, the church in Colossae. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but Neil will correct me if I'm not. <laughs> but basically, Paul is, is, this is actually in his greeting. And uh, he, uh, you know, he is so encouraged by what the the church in Colossa was, was doing. Uh, and so he kind of gives us a little bit of uh, exhortation of, you know, encouragement, but also uh, wisdom. And uh, the, the big thing is I saw this kind of in two, two main parts when it links to devotion. We got, you know, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So, <clears throat> Right there, living a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing him in every way. That's a good snippet or almost a good chunk of what devotion looks like, right? <clears throat> and he gives us a little bit of a step program to get there. So we got the Spirit, right? And the Spirit gives us wisdom and understanding. That wisdom and understanding gives us knowledge of his will, which gives us the ability to live a life worthy of the Lord. So Spirit, wisdom and understanding, that leads to knowledge of his will and then to a life of devotion. It's a process. It's not something we just go for. Sometimes we often try to go straight to living life worthy of the Lord. I know I do this. Most of the time I like to just go out and do the work I know I need to do, but I forget the, the stuff that comes before that, connecting with the Spirit, knowing his will. And of course, this is an on, ongoing process. It's not like you fi- suddenly arrive at you know, living life worthy of the Lord and never have to connect with the Spirit again. You, you always need to be doing all of these things. So, and then there's the next part, which is, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure just kind of looking at it, it's kind of a description of what living a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing Him in every way looks like. It's bearing fruit in every good work. And of course, this is talking about, you know, walking our Christian walk, doing the, the, the things God has called us to do, serving Him and serving others. Uh, and this is the main part we like to emphasize when we talk about devotion and seeing the results of our faith walk, right? Uh, w- one of the things that's really important is, you know, when we, when we look at the life of a Christian, we look at the fruit, right? But it's not all of it. <clears throat> the next one, growing in the knowledge of God. This one we really like in our devotional times. We like to read about God and the Bible, and it is vitally important. It's the report- importance of our relationship with him and knowing him. And, of course, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing him personally. And then 
The next one, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. This, this devotional life that Paul is describing is a life not only of doing, but also receiving or being strengthened by him. And not just with some power, but all power so that may you have great patience and endurance. And then lastly, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So this talks about two things, the importance of giving thanks to him. We recognize that the good things in our life don't come from what we do, it comes from him. <clears throat> and one of those good things that comes from him is our inheritance. We are co-heirs with Christ. This is talked about in multiple parts of the Bible, but in Romans uh, it talks about it a lot. Um, you know, our qualification for being that inheritance has nothing to do with what we've done, but everything to do with what God has done. God has qualified us to share in the inheritance. So yeah, this is, to me, was the, one of the best kind of descriptions of the devotional life that I could see in the Bible. Um, now there's, a, like I, I read off, you know, probably six, seven other ones. You could read the Bible and spend your whole life finding examples of devotion in the Bible. One of the most important things, I think, in this process of living a life of devotion is the importance of repentance. So often, uh, you know, you'll, you'll think this in your head, you'll hear somebody say this, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk to God, but I don't hear anything from him. He's not speaking to me. He's not answering my prayers. And one, one of the things I'm realizing is, are you coming to God with a heart of repentance? You know, God wants to, you to come to him <clears throat> knowing who you are knowing that you are not God and that you have messed up. When we are trying to hide those things and actively uh, living in sin and we come to God, he cares first about that more than our specific prayer requests that we have. He wants us to repent. So if you're struggling in your uh, devotional life, that's a good place to start, growing in dependence. All right, let's move on from the scripture to the next slide up. Oh, I uh, supposed to be another slide in there. I messed up. Anyways, what are some acts of devotion? So I'm going to talk about a few fun words here. One of those words is theology. Anybody know what theology means? Study of God, yes. And of course, theology uh, gets experienced in a couple ways, but there's this other word called doxology. Uh, and doxology is kind of a harder, harder word to 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 put our uh, definition on. Uh, there's, it comes from the root word, of course, the study of uh, doxa. Um, but one of the ways that I like to uh, describe doxology, it's theology consummated or theology practiced. Theology's purpose is not to puff you up and make you smarter. Theology's purpose is not to know more about God so that you can impress your, your friends, Right? Theology's purpose is so that you can experience God and practice what you learn, right? Um, Nino, when we're talking about, when we're going through the CMIT program, he likes to talk about, you know, the, the importance of theology is you need to experience it through prayer. You guys in the CMIT program remember, probably remember this. Uh, and uh, it's so true. You can't, when you study theology, you can't just leave it as a scholastic experience where you're just learning. Um, and then uh, another Example of doxology is this. This is 
another description I found otherwise, but it's a liturgical expression or formula of praise to God. And, uh, yeah, using that theology to, to produce our devotion, basically. And that come, brings us to the next word, which is liturgy. Liturgy is a word that we throw around usually in a negative light in the Assemblies of God. Oh, that church is liturgical. Uh, we're not liturgical. Uh, and all liturgy means is uh, the... I have a couple definitions here. The things we do to publicly express worship. So I'm going to uh, blow your minds really quick. We're liturgical. We have a formulated worship service. So let's not uh, look at other churches with uh, a negative light that are more formulaic than we are. Um, there's good things about what they do, and we'll learn about that in a little bit. Um, but liturgy, liturgy specifically refers to the structure of worship that happens when Christians meet together at church. It gives structure and pattern to our worship on a weekly and annual basis, and it can form the basis of the weekly church service where a certain order is followed. Liturgy is useful in helping guide us in our worship. And this brings us to our next slide. <clears throat> I, I made a new phrase, personal liturgy. So liturgy specifically talks about the public expression of worship, which when you're doing your devotional kind of things, you're not in public, you're in private. So I call it personal liturgy, which is a little bit of an oxymoron, but we're going to leave it at that. <clears throat> So I like to, this is my own definition. The patterns and habits that we cultivate in our lives that we use to express our worship and devotion to God. My goal today is to encourage you to grow and expand your personal liturgy. All right, let's get into some examples as I wrap it up. <clears throat> First example is a book that the interns are well acquainted with, and Derek as well, Sacred Pathways. We can go to the next slide. Yeah, all right. Sacred Pathways is just a, a great book. Uh, it's written by a ex-Chi Alpha guy. His name's Gary Thomas. That's right, his right name, right? Okay. I'm going to make sure I got that right. Uh, but this is, he basically approached this book as, you know, the Gutenberg Press wasn't around till I don't know what, 15, 1600. So most Christians throughout history have learned to worship and devote themselves to God without a personal Bible. So they couldn't have their morning quiet time like we do. And honestly, our morning quiet time is something that was expanded uh, and on and taught really heavily in the 70s and 80s, and I think it's a very good thing, but it does not fully encompass what a devotional life is. And so Sacred Pathways is basically uh, a list of nine different ways that we love God, and we're going to go through these real quick. <clears throat> All right, the first one is the naturalist, loving God outdoors. When they are outdoors... Their heart soars to worship God. Naturalists learn to seek God by surrounding themselves with all that he has made. Any of you guys kind of relate to that? Any of you guys naturalists? Yeah, we got Justin, Josiah, Debbie, Steve, some others too. Yeah, I, uh, I uh, can, can relate. I definitely, one of my primary ways I connect with God is outdoors. The sensates, I know Nino is one of these. Loving God with the senses, wanting to be lost in the awe and beauty and splendor of God. They are drawn particularly to the liturgical, the majestic, the grand. When these Christians worship, they want to be filled with sights and sounds and smells that overwhelm them. Any of you guys sensates? Yeah. Any more? We've got uh, Isaac over there. The next one, the traditionalist. Loving God through ritual and symbol. Fed by uh, what are often termed the historic dimensions of faith. Rituals, symbols, sacraments, 
sacrifice, and they tend to lead a disciplined life. We got any traditionalists in the house? Derek, Caleb, a little bit of Abby. And of course, the thing with the, all of these is, uh, oh, Neo too, yep. The thing with all of these is you're not just one. Ideally, you're all nine of them. Uh, but we gravitate naturally to some of them. Uh, let's go to the next slide. The next one, ascetics. Not aesthetics, ascetics. <laughs> Loving God in solitude and simplicity. Wanting nothing more than to be left alone in prayer. Take away the liturgy, the trappings of religion, the noise of the outside world. Let there be nothing to distract them. No pictures, no loud music. Leave them alone to pray in silence and simplicity. We've got any ascetics in the house? Yeah, you like to, you like to be in that quiet, quiet place. The next one, I know this is maybe one of Cindy's favorite. <laughs> the activist, loving God through confrontation. Um, basically, you define worship as standing against evil and calling sinners to repentance, waging war against injustice, energized more by interaction with others, even in conflict, than by being alone or in small groups. Any, any uh, activists in the house? Yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised by the. I'm sure Julie's probably one too, right? Yeah. <laughs> caregivers. This is another one for, for Julie, right? So caregivers, loving God by loving others. They serve God by serving others, often claim to see Christ in the poor and needy, and their faith is built up by interacting with other people. This is a strong one for me to, to a certain degree. I really like helping people. But any other you know, servers in the house, caregivers? Yeah, yeah. Dakota, yep. All right, next slide. The enthusiasts. We like this in the Assemblies of God. We like to be loud and boisterous. Loving God with mystery and celebration. Excitement and mystery in worship is the spiritual lifeblood in the enthusiast. They are inspired by joyful celebration. Basically, cheerleaders for God in the Christian life. If you know Michael well, you know he's an enthusiast. <laughs> but any, any other enthusiasts in the house? Derek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Autumn. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Mr. Muyanja in the back. Contemplatives, loving God through adoration. Refer to God as their lover, and images of loving father and bridegroom best capture their view of God. They seek to love God with the purest and deepest and brightest love imaginable. These are the people who just like to sit at the Father's feet and just to be wrapped in his arms. We got any contemplatives in the house? Yeah, I knew, Brooke, you'd be strong on the contemplative scale. <laughs> and then there's the last one, which is the, the one that's most dear and near to my heart, the intellectual Loving God with the mind. Um, intellectuals need their minds to be stirred before their hearts come truly alive. They are likely to study topics such as Calvinism, infant baptism, ordination of women, and predestination, which are kind of all hot-button topics in theology. There's a lot of good stuff to study in there. And these Christians live in a world of concepts. They may feel closest to God when they first understand something new about him. And that one's the big one for me. I feel closest to God when I learn something new about him. Anybody, any other intellectuals in the house? Yeah, yeah, lots of hands. We can relate. <clears throat> so these nine pathways, none of them really directly talk about what we think of as our normal devotion time, right? Or reading the Bible and praying. Of course, those are all involved in this. That's involved in all of these. But like I said earlier, devotion is so much more than a morning, morning quiet time. <clears throat> so... As we wrap up here, because it is almost 12.30 and we need to be done, uh, I want to talk about what it means to have a quiet time and a devotion and cultivating our devotional life, our personal liturgy. A couple things. This is essential to our faith. 
And, uh, you know, if we have no set of formational practices, we get shaped by the world around us. I think there's that slide, isn't it? Yes, if we have no set of formational practices of devotion, we get shaped by the world around us. And so this, this basically means if you don't live a life of devotion, you're not getting impacted by God, you're getting impacted by what's around you, what you consume, whether that's, you know, if you're going to parties, you're going to be shaped by that. If you're watching TV, you're going to be shaped by that. If you're, you know, hanging out in a kitchen and working with people, and you, I don't know if anybody has worked in a kitchen. There's some interesting people that work in kitchens. <clears throat> I'll tell you stories afterwards if you want to know, working with ex-convicts. Very interesting. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, you don't, if you don't want to be shaped like that, you need to have a devotional life. And another thing is we aren't meant to do this alone. Devotion is a community activity. Of course, there's times when you need to do your devotion time alone, but accountability is really big. Uh, if you find yourself struggling with uh, daily uh, devotional times of any, any sort, it doesn't have to always be you know, one specific thing, uh, tell your friends about it. Be like, hey, I'm struggling. I need, I need your help. Can you do this with me? Call me when we're not doing it together. Uh, another thing is it helps keep things fresh. <clears throat> yeah, when we uh, do devotion with a, in a community, even though we're doing it on our own, when we talk about these things with others, they are able to share what they do to connect with God, and that helps you to learn, right? And the last few things, we need to have a vision for why these things are important. Trying harder doesn't work. Uh, they're not, they're meant, not meant to be burdensome things in our life. Uh, if you're finding a devotional habit burdensome, um, I can relate. It's, uh, it's, but that's not the purpose of them. These habits truly help us connect with God, but they aren't things save us or make God love us more. They're not meant to make God pleased with us, but instead they're meant to help us receive and express God's love to others more. Richard J. Foster puts it like this. Perhaps we could think of spiritual formation as a pattern, a series of concrete actions that will gently move us toward transformation in Christ. The disciplines themselves, however, are not transformative. The transformation in us is God's work. It is a work of pure grace. That deeply transformative grace comes to us not through our own doing, but as a pure gift. Yeah. The works themselves don't change you, but God changes you through them. All right, let's get the band kind of coming up here. I've had to skip a few things that I had, but I don't want to go too long. Um, a couple things. If you want to learn more kind of about what I was talking about today, uh, if you look up, it's uh, XA Yale, literally xayale.com slash real devotion. A lot of what I talked about today came from that podcast. Uh, and then, of course, Sacred Pathways uh, by Gary Thomas. But one of the last thing I wanted to talk about was how to deal with failure. We have all failed in many ways, right? <clears throat> and if it's me, I failed in all the ways. <clears throat> but... Failure is not something that beats us. If you are finding yourself that you struggle to have a daily devotion and you're, you're thinking of yourself as a failure, 
It is not something that has beaten you. Rather, it's a tool. Failure is a tool that helps us to know God fully. Christ lived a beautiful life, and he can redeem our lives, right? One of my favorite lyrics that I've uh, been listening to, Mr. Neil Morse, I'm going to talk about him for a long time, but he has this one song where he says, the God of the whole universe sent his son to lift the curse and live his holy life through me and you. God can help you through failure. So don't be discouraged, but rather be encouraged that the God living inside of you is what's going to lead you to a great devotional life. So as we go into the summer, um, I'm just kind of, biggest thing I want to encourage you is to work on is your personal liturgy. Kind of, a, uh, if, you're, if you're struggling to have any sort of daily devotion, you know, start trying to incorporate that into your life. If you do have a great daily devotion already, maybe expand that and uh, ex- try to experience God in a different way than you're comfortable with. Maybe you're really good at, like me, like in the intellectual, but you really don't like doing the activist thing. Maybe try to do some activism. Or maybe uh, you're an enthusiast and maybe you need to spend some time doing the ascetic life where you're living really simply. Or one of the things that I've really been blessed by recently is I've really been blessed by just sitting at home and worshiping. Not putting on worship music, but playing worship music. Uh, For me, music is very much a performance-driven thing. I Like I said, I was a music major. Will can understand. It's hard to disconnect performance from the music. Uh, And even as, uh, you know, I I lead the worship band most most Sundays here at H2O, it's very hard to disconnect that performance mindset. Uh, So, but one of the things I've been really blessed by is just sitting at home, pulling out the guitar, playing the piano, and worshiping God. And usually that is involved when I'm preparing for a worship band that week. Uh, But it's just a great way for me to connect with God. Uh, And I've been really, really, really blessed by it. And it's, you know, it's not our typical devotion time. It's not a, you know, prayer and, work and read the Bible time that we like to limit our devotion time to. Uh, but it still blesses me nonetheless. So, as we're singing the last song and as we're going into the summer, let's work on our personal liturgy and let's, uh, let's learn how to devote ourselves to God in a different way than we're comfortable with. So, let me just pray and then they can take it away. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, we just pray for growing in devotion. And uh, I'm just, I'm with everybody on this. I need to grow in my devotional life uh, because I've, I've failed just as much as anybody here in, in cultivating that. But God, you are bigger than us. You are bigger than our failures. You're bigger than our successes. And uh, Lord, I just pray that as we go into the summer that you will Build, build our devotional life, God. And in Jesus' name, amen.